Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's night. Welcome to Podcast, I guess, 1999. I'm your host, Phil Iskove. And with us today is Rebecca Searle, uh, author, TV writer, who also co-developed her TV adaptation of her YA series, Famous at Love. She's also the author of The Dinner List and the New York Times bestseller, In Five Years, which I'm currently reading, and it's great, and everyone should go and buy it. However, they buy books in the pandemic. They should go and buy books. Um, so, uh, thank you for being here, Rebecca. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Um, uh, buy local guys, support indie booksellers. There you go. Yeah. yeah. If, if, if you can, I, I'm assuming they're shipping and doing all that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, everywhere. And if you go to bookshop.org, this is just going to turn into a plug for indie booksellers. Uh, but if you go to bookshop.org, they have all information. You can type in your zip code. They'll tell you what local stores are open. They'll ship to you. You can do curbside pickup, buy and support local independent bookstores. We need them. Here, here. Um, so how sort of, I guess, where were you in 1999 and how did Felicity come into your life? I was in uh, middle school in 1999. Let's see. I think I was in the eighth grade. The eight, this, it's so pathetic when you look back and you're like, do you, does this happen to you? Like years blend with like 100%. ages of, I, I can't, it was in the seventh or eighth grade. And Felicity, actually, I, I will be honest, like didn't come into my life until I think I was properly in high school because I grew up in a household that didn't really, wasn't big on television. Okay. So the first show I actually really got into from the WB was Roswell. Um, sure. that, I know you spoke to Karina. Karina is one of my yeah. dearest friends and, um, you know, who's, who's, um, who's running the show now and is the best and just like pretty much the smartest person I know. But, um, I was obsessed with the original. I was obsessed uh-huh. with the original. And that was kind of the first show. And I remember a friend of mine used to record the episodes on VHS for me and give sure. them to me because uh-huh. I, we didn't have, not that it was on cable. It was, there was no cable back then, but my parents had a pretty strict, like no TV rule. And so I would like sneak, I couldn't guarantee that I could be in front of the TV at the time. Of course there was no TiVo. There was no TiVo. It's true. Right. It's true. That wasn't a yeah. thing. So, um, so yeah, so I came, so Russell was first, um, followed probably by Dawson's Creek. And I came to Felicity maybe a few years later. It's so funny you talking about like lack of TiVo and and recording stuff on VHS, which I did. I I recorded every episode of ER for about six seasons, but be that as it may, um, it's interesting how you had to be in front of your television. Like there was actual appointment television, right? Where people just sat down at eight o'clock and they watched three hour blocks of television, um, which obviously was a huge boon to advertisers. And now 
like nothing is appointment television. I mean, nothing. I guess there's, I mean, there's an argument to be made for maybe your HBO shows, some HBO shows, but even then, right? who's really doing it? Game of Thrones, and that's been it, oh, I think, yeah. over the last five years. Um, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And I mean, I think, I think Buffy was probably the biggest example of that back then. Sure. I mean, that was, that was serious. And I was, I was not a Buffy fan, but I know people who, people who were back then could tell you exactly what day and time yeah. and night that show was on. A hundred percent. Yeah. So you watched Felicity as it was airing or after on like DVD? I think it was, was there four seasons of Felicity. I think it was probably right after it aired. I started watching it and I, and I really do. I mean, like so many millennials before me, I think it, I think it impacted my decision to want to go. I ended up going to undergrad in Los Angeles at USC, but I moved after college to New York. And I think it impacted my decision to want to like be a young person in New York city. In this idyllic version of New York city that was actually shot in Los Angeles. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But it was, I mean, you know, I remember first moving to New York as a 22 year old and passing Dean and DeLuca on, you know, West Broadway and thinking this was Mecca. (laughs) Sure. Sure. It's, it's really, I had never eaten at a Dean. I'm from Toronto originally, so we didn't have Dean at DeLuca uh, in, in Toronto. Um, so it just felt even more special when I, whenever I was in New York and actually got to eat there, it was just this yeah. like amazing thing. Um, so, so you watched it sort of afterwards as mm-hmm. opposed to when it was on. Um, and I guess I, I have to ask you just based on, on your book, which as I said, is fantastic. Yeah. It does have kind of a time travel component to it. So my question to you is, how do you feel about Felicity's use of time travel at the end of the series. Do you feel not like it? Great. <laughs> yeah, not great. I mean, I guess I don't. I just it's a, it's a it's just a grand mystery. And I understand. I've done the research. Like what happened, and they got these extra episodes ordered, and they went back to the drawing board, and they had art. Right. But I mean, the end of so how many time travel episodes are there? Three or four? There's four. There's four. So the, the the episode right before we launch into the Bizarro Land uh-huh, uh-huh. is a perfect finale. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, in subsequent rewatchings of the show, which I did a complete rewatch uh, two years ago um, in in preparation for for some, for a project I didn't tell you about, but I um, I I feel like the show stops there for me. <laughs> Oh, so, okay, so you you just think the time travel thing is like an epilogue, like it's not even really part of the show. I think it's like, honestly, I've just come to look at it as like not canon. It's like fan fiction or something. I just, <laughs> I can't, fiction, depending on yeah, I can't, I, exactly, I, I just can't, um, I can't abide that like being part of the like original Enterprise. I don't know. Have you yeah. had a person come on here who who's like a fan of the I don't know that I've had thus far. I don't think I've had anyone come on that actually, you know what? I feel like Amy Smart or Amy Jo Johnson, one of the actors was a fan of it because I think, I think that it might've been, I imagine if you were an actor on the show, it might've been fun to do the sliding doors thing. Right. I would even argue that as a writer, it might've been fun to do it. Yes. But as a viewer, as a viewer, it it sucks. As a viewer, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's interesting too, and and you obviously use the device in your book, but but just it's it's such a perfect device to be able to show the what if, like what's the the path mm-hmm. not taken. It's just such mm-hmm. a and and emotionally it's so potent. So yeah. I get why they did what they did, even yeah. if to your point, and I agree with you. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Exactly. That is the point. What? But I also, I can also understand it in terms of a love triangle, right? Like, and wanting to see like what, what might, what might've been alternate because the whole thing, the whole thing was about who's she going to choose, which one is it going to be? So, right. I, I mean, yes, I, all the points and also what? Yeah. Yeah. It's also just, it, it goes, it goes too far with it. Like killing no, like it goes, it just goes too far. Um, but I, but listen, I, I respect the swing. I'm a big fan of, of shows that take risks. Yeah. Uh, so I, I respect that. So um, what are your feelings about the show sort of in general? How do you feel? Did it, do you feel like, cause you were sort of, um, I was in my first year of university when Felicity started. So mm-hmm. it was concurrent with my four years of, yeah. of uh, uh, college experience it was not my college experience 
at all. Um, I went to film school in Toronto and, you know, it just, it was not, it was not like, uh, like Felicity. Did you feel as though it in any way sort of informed your college experience? Well, one thing I'll say is that I, I identified with Felicity because I think that I was also a very late bloomer in the way she was. Sure. But I think like, you know, I think about this a lot in terms of, um, quote unquote teen television and what it looks like now and how you really, it would be very challenging to create a show around a character who had never been in love, had never had sex, had never like done any of those things in high school and comes to college. And is that sort of like fresh face and new? And I think part of the reason that the show worked really well in that time is that it it really appealed to high schoolers and people who are older because it was reflecting in an inward experience that felt in some ways younger, maybe than the like chronological age of how old Felicity was. But she also was in college having all of these like very sort of classic collegiate experience. So I really identified with, with the fact that she just hadn't experienced that many things. It's how I felt. Um, And, and I sort of, you know, I sometimes miss, I think characters that come that are uh, characters. And I, and I also just think this speaks more grandly to like the pacing of the show. Um, How like delicate and slow it was. I know. Uh, so much. I know we just don't we just don't really have that anymore. So it, yeah, um, it's very true. You know, we, we I, I was talking with Karina about this actually. You know, we, we talked about how um, how much air there is in the show. Yeah. Uh, whereas she's like, I couldn't do any of the things that they're doing on Roswell now. Like they're not allowed to have a breath between something no. else happening. Um, and then on the flip side, I, I just recently watched uh, Normal People, which I don't know if you've had a chance to check yeah, out. I have. But, but that show really takes its time and allows itself to kind of sit in these moments. And I'm, and to your point about sort of teen television, I do like to think that we have now with a streaming universe and with this idea that, that the companies and the studios know that teens watch streaming television, we're getting more shows that explore the youth experience in a, in a more poetic and a more nuanced way. Um, But to your point, we have not had that, Basically, since Felicity left the air. No, I mean, I mean, there are whole like there are act outs where it's like someone just looks at someone else, you know, like, and that's the act out. Like that's the whole thing. It's crazy. Um, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, on Famous in Love, it's like you know who's plotting who's murder at the end of Act Two, like that. you know um so i mean really, like it was just who's going to be locked in a basement this episode? Um, and. You know, and I also think, and Karina and I have spoke about this a lot too, like the teen experience is so different than it was for us. Like they live in a much more, in a, in just a more fast paced world, a more chaotic world, more is required of them, like socially, economically, in so many ways that are, I think, different from what the pace was and what our concerns were and what our worldview was when we were growing up. And I, so I understand the ways in which that television wants to reflect that and sort of reflect the place of the world. Simultaneously, I think I think the success of normal people is a great uh, reflection of the fact that we are all really missing mm-hmm. some calmer entertainment. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. I think we're missing also just, um, I don't know, romance that's a little more believable. You know, that relationships between, I mean, obviously it doesn't have to be same-sex relationships or or what have you, but like, we're just missing the sort of spectrum of romance. Yeah. It feels a little bit binary right now in terms of like what, and and that's exciting. And hopefully we'll we'll see more of that as, as we go deeper into these streaming wars that we seem yeah. to be in right now. But it's, <laughs> but it's, but, but it is really lovely to watch Felicity and be able to sort of, um, it's a very inviting, very warm show. It obviously has, you know, everyone's wearing great sweaters. It's all autumnal colors. It's all very, it's all very inviting, but, um, but it does have those. <laughs> I feel like it's, you just said that. And I was like, Oh my God, is it the nineties version of like a Nancy Myers movie? Is it like a little bit, the, little bit. It's a little bit right? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, yeah. I imagine that. Yeah. It's like a nineties college version of a Nancy Myers movie for yeah. sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's complicated is really just that, but like years later, totally. um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's really interesting to watch it again. And, and, you know, I'm excited to talk about this specific episode with yeah. you because, um, you know, 
Obviously, she cut her hair. It was a big deal. And yeah. and which in and of itself speaks volumes to how low stakes this show was that like she cut her hair and everyone lost their fucking minds. But be can that I as it say may. something on the hair? Please, please. Yeah, please, please. But I heard. So I heard um, Carrie Russell on uh, Dak Shepard's podcast, which right. I love. And she told the story about the haircut. And I, I think the narrative was always Carrie Russell and, um, and Scott Speedman were like, you know, got crazy. And he like, they decided that she should cut her hair and like, it wasn't sanctioned. And then he came back and they had to like rate it into the show. And it was like a huge ratings issue and blah, blah, blah. But in reality, the producers went to her and said, Hey, we think this should be a plot point. Are you down? So it's, it's, I mean, I think it speaks to a lot of things, which is like, I never knew that. And I think there were, there were less outlets back there for actors to get to like, nowadays you would just go on social media and say like, Hey, this is what happened. Or, you know, you'd give an interview. We just didn't have the same amount of access to actors and they didn't have the same amount of like, they didn't have the same platform to be able to like express the realities of a situation. But that kind of blew my mind because all these years I thought, this was just like a crazy thing yeah. she did in her youth, yeah. but it was a whole plot point. A hundred percent. I mean, it's it's one of those things where like, you know, you and I working in television now, yeah. obviously just looking at it and saying, well, the, the timing doesn't actually make sense, right? Like they shot a whole first premiere episode and the, so like it wouldn't have made sense for her to like go. So it doesn't make yeah. sense. But putting that aside... It's it. I agree with you. I remember that rumor. Like I remember it being tagged to her as like this actress doing this crazy thing, which is fucked up when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it's it, it's crazy to think that now. Even Karina said this on the episode I had with her the, when she was on. She said there are still clauses at Warner Brothers saying you cannot have haircuts by any character without it being sanctioned by like X amount of people. Like there's a fallout from this Felicity situation that we still <laughs> haircut clause. I love it. Which is just unbelievable. That's unbelievable. But it's so we're we're at this point in the season where we're still sort of working our way through this sort of grenades that have gone off at the top of season two where she breaks up with Ben, she cuts her hair, she drops pre-med. Um, and they really kind of sort of blow the show up, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, which is great television, right? Like, that's great yeah. writing, and that's what you want in a writer's room. Uh, so I completely understand why they did it. I also understand why every 16-year-old that was watching it was like, what the fuck is this? Sure. <laughs> this is not the show I yeah, signed up for. weren't used to it. It wasn't really how stories were told then. And actually, it's interesting because when you say that, I'm like, it's starting to make the it's starting to make the time travel at the end a little bit more justified. I'm like, whoa, were they always a show that took me to risk? Maybe they were. I mean, in their own little sandbox, oh, kind okay. of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But so in this particular episode, uh, which is called The Depths, it's episode 204. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read a brief synopsis for the people that haven't seen it. But when Felicity and Julie get stuck in a subway together for hours, their friendship is dissected by a bunch of eccentric strangers. Uh, Julie finds uh, finally manages to forgive Felicity. Noel and Ruby spend a wonderful day together at the museum that concludes with a kiss. And Ben clashes with a cranky customer played by Terry Polo. Uh, the Depths aired on October 17th, 1999. It was written by J.J. Abrams and directed by Michael Schultz. Um, so I'm a big fan of a bottle episode. I love a bottle episode. Um, I wrote one for Station 19 a couple years ago. And uh, I just love 
sticking a bunch of people in a room and just watching the fireworks of of the various sort of dramas that exist between those people. Um, it's very much like a play, but it gives you freedom to be able to do some real digging into character and what have you. And I think they did a great job of that in this episode. How did you oh, think? Yeah. I absolutely agree. I love it too. It reminds me, as I was like rewatching it in, in, in preparation for us to chat, I was thinking a lot about uh, the episode of Justin's Creek where Joey and Pacey get locked in the Walmart do you remember that episode? You weren't a huge Dawson's Creek person. I, I, I watched them, but I, I yeah, I wasn't as big. It's this episode, and it's like it's so late in in the series run. I think okay. it's probably episode. I mean, I think it's probably season five. But they get, but they get like, like extenuating circumstances. I don't really remember. But they let get locked in this Walmart together, and they have this whole night where they're just like, you know, go, they have to like pull out sleeping bags, and she like she right. fears. They share this kiss, like this real intimacy. Anyway, I was thinking about it and it was reminding me of that. And um, I love a bottle episode too. It's it That sounds a lot like the movie Career Opportunities. Have you ever seen that movie by no. any chance? Uh, Jennifer Connelly. Uh, it's a John Hughes movie near okay. like, before he went full home alone. Basically <laughs> she gets, she gets trapped in a, in a, like a, I guess it's kind of like a target um, with this guy and they fall in love. I think the movie is like 84 minutes with credits. There's not a lot that you can do with that movie, but to me. It's, it's still fun. Um, but yeah, I, I love a bottle episode. Um, I think that thematically, I, I'm also a fan of the fact that this show, and I would, I would argue that a lot of JJ shows use their titles really smartly. Um, mm-hmm. This is obviously about them being stuck in the, in the subterranean uh, subway tunnels, but it's also about them being in friendship hell. It's about them yeah. sort of being in the depths of their, of their relationship, which I really liked. Um, it also works and services quite well as a clip show in its own weird way of like filling you in on everything that's happened up until this point. So if there are people that haven't seen the show or what have you, they can kind of jump in, which yeah, is smart. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I guess from a sort of from 30,000 feet, I think the episode works quite well in terms of just um, moving Felicity and Julie closer to friendship, moving them back together. Um, yeah. She obviously in the previous episode. Uh, kind of men's things with Noel, which apparently is essentially connected to the fact that he found another girl. Well, uh, had he not found Ruby, perhaps he wouldn't be so open to things. the nineties, we still had a lot of work to do. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. Yeah, uh, and yes, we do still. Yeah, yes, we do. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was. Um, so, I, what are your thoughts on the Noel Ruby of it all? Do you? Well, yeah. It was interesting because in rewatching it, I was I was remembering that episode because I I was remembering like Julie says or or someone so I, sorry I was remembering that I thought that um, that Noel and um, and Felicity were in a better place, but he's still really salty with her in this. He's episode. a little prickly still. He's prickly, <laughs> and it's funny because. I think at the time watching it, I was sort of like, it made him less appealing to me. I think sure. that, I think, you know, television of the WB era was so used to men who were just like, who were just constantly bleeding for these women who just were like, were just like so um, unshakable and unrattled and just like, kind of, kind of just like, like expressing unconditional love. I think about, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep bringing this up, but Pacey was my like be all and end all. Um, and, and Karina. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah, of course. And I sort of, I kind of liked it. I've liked it on subsequent rewatches. The fact that he's a little bit like, I'm kind of pissed at you. <laughs> yeah. Thing. yeah. Um, I really, I liked Ruby then, and I and I like her now. Is that a controversial point of view? Like, I don't I, know. I, I don't think so. But I will say that at the time, it did feel like, I mean, and this the show lives and dies based on the Team Ben, Team Noel of it all. I mean, that is its, you know, bread and butter. Yeah. Um, and well, so, I, <laughs> I, yeah. I want to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, you had to make a choice or at least they made a choice at the end of season one. Right. And, and she chose to go with the guy that she followed to New York, which is not a huge surprise, but they saw more opportunity in story that way than her being with Noel, which sort of makes sense since all of season one is her essentially being with Noel. So it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it also makes sense to want to make Noel quote unquote happy and, you know, with, with somebody else. The, the Ruby thing, and we had Amy Smart on um, uh, a couple weeks ago, and she talked about the role and, and being a part of it um, and how much fun it was. And I think she's great. And I actually would argue that she kind of gets the shitty end of the stick. Like, they don't write her out great. 
Yeah. Um, they, they, I they, agree. They, He's they like, her I mean, I, the other thing about it is like Noel is really his best when he's being a boyfriend. We love watching Noel be a boyfriend. Yes. It's very pleasurable to watch him be a boyfriend, whether mm-hmm. you know it's to Felicity or to Jennifer Garner or, you know, it, it is pleasurable. So I think that's part of the Ruby storyline that I that I like and still find appealing is getting mm-hmm. to watch him in that role. But you're right. There's not there's not a ton of work for her to do in it. And and it's funny you say that because I think that Noel, I agree, we want to watch him as a boyfriend and we don't want to watch Ben as a boyfriend. No, Ben is. So that's yeah. part of the problem. Um, or maybe that's part of an asset, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, but that's so interesting, isn't it? The, the juxtaposition of the Ben relationship is the best when they are just longing for each other and can't be. And the Noel relationship is the best when they are. It's yeah. very nice to watch them together. You want to watch Ben just like, you know, are we allowed to swear on here? Yeah, absolutely. Like I fuck her across the room. Like that's... Yeah. Those are very different things. He's also someone else, and I forgive me, I don't remember which guest it was, calls Ben a fuck boy, and he really kind of yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's really sort of it. There's yeah, not a whole it. lot more going on there. Yeah. No, um, he's so handsome. <laughs> he's very handsome. <laughs> don't, don't disagree. Um, it's because he's Canadian. But uh, I, I think that uh, it's it's interesting to watch the Noel situation with, uh, with Ruby, because to your point, uh, it breeds obviously some jealousy and in, in Felicity to a certain degree, um, which again feeds the love triangle. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Ruby thing, and Amy Smart mentioned this in, in my interview with her, that she actually had to go off to do, I think it was Road Trip was the movie that she was in. Shortly yeah, thereafter. I remember that movie. And so she asked to leave to go do that. And that literally is what the character does, which is she goes off to be in a movie right. and then she gets knocked up by a movie producer. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if she didn't ask to leave, had yeah. she, would she have stayed on the show? Would they have just made her a series regular? Would they have found a way to sort of, cause she really does fold really nicely into yeah. the universe. Yeah. And yeah. I would argue that keeping Noel in a relationship for longer might've actually benefited the show, but. I agree. Amazing. I agree. And I think that's interesting. I also think it was, it, it's, interesting to watch her relationship with Felicity because Felicity is a little bit of a mentor to her, but then there's this other, like you were saying, there's this jealousy and it's very interesting. Like it's, we haven't really watched Felicity in like a super jealous role before. She's just been, she's been, um, I don't know, almost like disturbingly angelic in her, in her, in the way that she, anyway, but it is like, the, it, there's something really compelling and you can't, you know, because Amy starts so great, you can't really help but fall in love with, like, she's so sweet and loving yeah. and, and Felicity can't help but love her. So yeah. I, I think that would have been interesting to see. And I think that it pays off well in this episode too, in the sense that, you know, at the end of the episode, the storyline is basically Noel and Felicity and Ruby are supposed to go to the museum together. Felicity gets stuck in the subway. So Noel and Ruby are stuck together and they have this lovely day at the museum and then they end up kissing and falling in love. Um, And then she runs to Felicity at the end and talks about how adorable Noel is and how wonderful and how great he is. And Felicity does not tell her that she obviously has a past with this guy, which ultimately comes up later. But for the time being, she keeps it to herself because she doesn't want to ruin this thing that Ruby has right now. Um, and that goes to show again how how big hearted Felicity's character is that she doesn't want to destroy this sort of you know yeah. moment that she has. Um, so to sort of to pivot to the to the A story, which is essentially Felicity and Julie are stuck in a in a subway train dealing yeah. with their problems. Yeah. Um, and I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on what are your thoughts on about the Felicity Julie relationship as a whole? Because I have thoughts. <laughs> Well, as a woman and and as someone who was watching it when you were sort of around this age and now watching it, obviously, you know, how does it it play for you? Well, Julie, Julie, I think got, I mean, as a character, I think she got the rough end of the stick in a lot of ways because they were throwing a lot of social issues at her that I think that they, they weren't, I just, I feel like we would do such a better job of culturally unpacking now. Sure. Like, I think that a lot of it was, um, was, a, was just after school specials. Um, and, and that makes, I mean, and that makes it challenging. And I think that she also, the ways in which she continuously sort of just like service Felicity's storyline, despite the fact that she was going through some like super fucking dark shit, <laughs> it's probably, it's pro- would be problematic you know, on a television show now. Yeah. It would be. Absolutely. I mean, 
So I guess, but, but yes, to all of that. And I think that what I love in this episode is that the show has the balls to kind of go straight at this relationship and say, you guys aren't really friends. Like right. you think you're friends, but you've known this person for a year at best. And like, you're not really friends. You're just kind I love of. Man, said that. I don't know if we're allowed to skip around chronologically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can jump around. Yeah, let's yeah but I love at the end when he says that he's, yeah. you know, he's like, he's like, you have no idea what best friendship is. Right. You know, my best friend and I were best friends for 60 years. You guys have been friends for a year. Like, you're just figuring out whether or not, like, you want to love each other. Or even like each other or even want to yeah. hang out with each other. Yeah. yeah, it's, and, and you know, obviously, that sort of underlining that idea of, and I'm sure you had these, I had these in college, where you're just, you're desperate for friendship, right? Like, you're in a new space. You're with all these people you don't know. You're looking for life wraps anywhere that you can find them. And you become friends with people that like you just might never be friends with ever again, but like they're there for you in that moment and you move on with your life. Um, and, and I do think that the show does a good job of kind of highlighting that and at least yeah. owning that. I don't um, because yeah. to your point, Julie's character, you know, she's got the date rape storyline. She's got the, uh, the adoption storyline. Like she's got a lot of tropey storylines, unfortunately. Um, even though I think they handle the date rape thing in a pretty nuanced way, but it's okay. it's it's tricky terrain, and in '99 to be talking about that stuff is interesting. Yeah, that um, is very true. That is very true. Um, I I mean, yeah. As you're talking about this, I'm thinking I had a whole set of. There were like four friends of mine my freshman year of college, and I don't talk to any of them anymore. I mean, they're lovely girls, and they were wonderful. We were everything to each other because we were like you're saying, like we were life rafts. We were just trying to like get by, like get to the get to some kind of like establishment of normalcy. Yeah. And then once you're on land, you're like, okay, now I'm going to go find my people. Um, and of course, when you're writing a show and, and, and what was interesting about Felicity, obviously, is that it didn't start in high school. It started in college. So as opposed to all these shows where in season three, four, five, tried to like make the characters go to college and then have the exact same life they had in high school, except for like maybe inject a boyfriend or two was, was really bizarre. There, but there is like a similar idea, and I think Felicity handled it well. Where like the characters are growing and changing so much over the course of those four years, and they're not always like the, the permutations of that friend group changes and evolves. Not just who dates one another, but like who's really close with one another too. Um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and so um, I also, you know, I also really like. Um, I think it's like in this episode when Felicity says to Julie, "Like you forgave." Like you, like you live with Ben, like you forgave yeah. Ben. Yeah. And like, and I, and I like, what does that mean? Because it's true. It's still how we deal with female betrayal when it mm -hmm. comes to romantic relationships. Like we forgive the man and it's like on the woman, it's like, it's a girl thing to deal with. Yeah. There's, so there's a couple. I just things. said a hundred things. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I agree with, I, 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 and I want to unpack all of them. I, I so I, I want to jump to the train for a second because there's because something you said brought made me think of this. There's a guy who says that Julie's a sex toy. Do you remember this? Do you remember this line? Can we have a little surrounding context? Because I because I really want to. Hold on. So, when is it? Okay, they're they're in the train. Yeah. yeah. And there is this, and she's talking about. Uh, someone says, a lawyer says to her. Um, asked why Julie forgave Ben and not Felicity. Yeah, he's trying to like litigate the whole thing. Right. And yeah. then Julie is self-aware enough to acknowledge that she's had more male friends than girlfriends. And mm -hmm. then and that Felicity for all intents and purposes is one of her first female best friends, quote unquote. And then this guy sitting next to them says, I've dated girls like you. You're like a sex toy. Like basically it's their way of saying like and I don't know how to say this delicately, but there are girls that have lots of male friends. There are girls that feel perhaps empowered or feel like they're, I don't know, they just like having male attention rather than female attention. Right. And I'm, that's not a judgment. Those people no. exist and that's totally fine. Um, and I think they're trying to comment on that. Yes. But not in a way that is particularly or nuanced. Right. But I, I guess my question is, they're, they're really kind of throwing a lot of stuff at Julie in this episode, which I think is really interesting. Um, and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to watch how they deal with that or if they deal with that. Right. But I guess the question I'm sort of positing to you is, you know, 
what do you think about the kind of the stereotype or, or the depiction of a girl who likes to have lots of male friends and enjoys the attention of men, maybe more so than women. And that can create problems with the friendships they have with women. Yeah. I mean, I think it's particularly pronounced in Felicity because Felicity is someone who's been so sheltered from men yeah. her whole life. Um, you know, like she doesn't, she has like basically no sexual experience. Julie has a very, di- like they come from ex- extraordinary different places, just like in their own sexuality and how mm-hmm. they feel about that. Mm-hmm. So I think it becomes even more pronounced. And I think, I mean, I think that, they, I think that they're, what's sort of interesting about the relationship and what's interesting about the writers is that like, they're aware of that. And there'll be moments I think where they kind of um, like call it out or use it a little mm-hmm. bit against each other. And I don't, I don't think that's bad. I think that's actually kind of compelling because it feels real. And it's also an opportunity to get to like name it and talk mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. which I find to be interesting. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's actually like, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, what a friendship. <laughs> yes. What a friendship. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure that. I, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, it makes for good television. I'm not sure that people like that could stay friends. Like, I don't know that these two people could stay friends for much longer after sort of all of this drama that's transpired between them. But yes. yeah, um, I do love, so the episode opens <clears throat> with Felicity drawing herself her eye for her drawing class. Mm-hmm. I really love that first extreme close-up of her eye. Yeah, filmic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great cold open with Megan regaling Felicity about this song that she heard Julie sing, Shit Talking oh, yeah. It's great. Um, the slut of Washington Square Park is a ridiculous lyric. Yeah. Yes. Um, Can I also just it's great. Think it's really fun to watch Felicity get mad in that scene because we so infrequently see her show any kind of um, like – like, like she's so frequently, she's so infrequently <laughs> feisty. And in that first scene, she's like getting kind of pissed. She's like annoyed. Mm-hmm. She's like, wait, what? She called me what? And we see her like, there's an edge to her that we just, we, up until that point, we've like very rarely gotten from Felicity. Cause I think she's still, she's like working her way out of it. She's still very much entrenched with like the season one kind of like calm angel vibe she has going on. So I really, I, I like that first scene. I like it that she gets a little bit irate about it. I, I, I totally agree with you. I love that she, there are moments where you see like real anger in Felicity. Yes. And in those moments, I see the Elizabeth Jennings or the future Elizabeth yes. Jennings in, yes. in Carrie Russell, where you're just like, oh, there's like a real fucking darkness. Like this, she yes. could really go there if she wants to. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. Um, I love that uh, Elena... <laughs> had a poem written about her called Stinky Girl, which I think is just ridiculous, but also makes me think of Smelly Cat, which is obviously... Oh, yeah, I love that. Um, But, uh, yeah, so then we meet Terry Polo playing this woman named Maggie, who's coming in asking for obscene amounts of pastry that could never be turned around in the amount of time that she's asking for them. 150 brownies in a matter of hours is not a possible, like for Dean and DeLuca, it's just not possible. Um, I don't know why they would be asking, but anyway. Um, And she's kind of like bitchy to Ben. And Mm -hmm. the storyline is basically Ben meets a bitchy older woman and is kind of smitten with her maybe. And then goes to a party where he sticks out like a sore thumb. (laughs) Right. But that that feels like that's his that's his storyline for the episode. Sure, Um, it's a great fun storyline. To be totally honest with you, I Um, like I like the Maggie storyline that the Terry Polo storyline. Yeah, and I like how it evolves. Actually, too, like she sticks around for a little bit. But um, I and I like also when when Ben kind of like in the second scene, Ben kind of kicks back at her and is like. Mm -hmm. Hey, like you can't come in demanding that. Like I'm a real person. I work here. I'm on a break. You can see that. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think it's what ultimately leads to them subsequently becoming romantically entangled. Like, totally, oh, totally. Yeah. And also that he's a really hot twenty yeah. year old, basically. Yeah, so hot. <laughs> um, yeah, he's having a scene with Sean talking about smooth A's for the first time, which will. Oh, be- Sean! I mean, it's so good. It's so good. Prominently as yeah, we move yeah. forward in series. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the Terry Polo stuff. I mean, I, I mentioned this uh, up top in, in the season premiere, but I, I think that, you know, the boldness of breaking up Ben and Felicity 
really forces both of them to sort of reevaluate themselves and try to figure out the people that they want to be. And in turn, I think that ultimately the season is about Ben growing up a little bit and like trying to realize that, you know, I guess trying to figure out how he can be with Felicity Mm -hmm. um, or at least be worthy of Felicity since he clearly is not at the top of this season. Um, And Terry Polo's character obviously is a part of that growth. I I also think that I, and I, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I always felt like Ben's emotional development, like felt really honest to me. Like it felt believable. It did not feel believable that they would get there and he'd be like, Oh my God, you, you know, this random girl from high school. Like it felt believable that he would be like a little bit weirded out by that. And then a little bit compelled by that. And then like Mm -hmm. getting to know her and then thinking like, there's something interesting here. And then all of it felt just really organic to me. And it felt like they, you know, I mean, this is a testament to slow storytelling and the fact that like we had the patience to kind of wait that out, but it felt like they really kind of earned the turns that he took towards her over the course of season one. Totally. I, I completely agree. And I, and I think that, Again, a testament to, as your point, uh, slower, more patient storytelling allowed this show to exist for four years. I mean, oh, this yeah. show, which could obviously not exist today in its current form. Um, I mean, it's crazy to even just look at the pilot and think about how much story they burned through in the pilot. Yeah. You're just like, you're kind of done. Like you've, you've paired her up already. You've given her like you, you it's it's kind of crazy that yeah. they found a way to to, for lack of a better, better way of putting it, milk this show for four seasons, mm-hmm. considering what transpires, which is not a whole lot. Not a lot. Not <laughs> but, a lot. Um, so I think it's great that Julie writes and performs this song, but I still think it's pretty shitty that she does it. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is whether or not what she did is shittier than what Felicity did. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, yeah. technically, Julie and Ben were broken up. What are your thoughts on how bad it was what Felicity did? I mean, I think it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter because these are two 19 year old girls who are, who like that stuff's going to be painful regardless. Like it would be painful if they were broken up for six months. It would be painful if they were broken up for two weeks. It would be painful if they weren't broken up at all. And it was cheating. Like it almost doesn't really matter what the circumstances are Mm -hmm. because I think that situation is just so unbelievably loaded. That being said, like, I I do think that, you know, Julie and Ben were no longer in anything that you could, you could name as a couple and that- You know, and then everyone kind of knew that there was this thing between Felicity and Ben and this thing that is sort of inevitably going to take shape in some form or another. And I, I don't just think that's us, the audience. Like, I do think that there's an awareness in their in their group, too. No, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it does feel a little bit like both sides recognize that what they did is shitty and they do come to that realization by the end of the episode. And thankfully... I appreciate that this episode isn't pat about it. It doesn't sort of wrap it up with a bow. It doesn't make them besties by the end of the episode. Um, I, I think that that's, I think that's commendable. Um, yeah. Again, like she says, do you want to get a coffee? And Julie's like, no, I'm no. going to go back to the norms. No. Yeah. 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 So I, I, you know, and, 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 you know, obviously Felicity says that on her tape to Sally at the end, you know, that, that, you know, it's, at that point, she felt like Julie and her were at an impasse. And then, you know, at the end, we'll talk about the the very end of it in a bit. But just that that the show sort of has the courage of its convictions to do the things that it's doing. A lot of shows, especially, you know, you're a big hit show. Then you take all these kind of crazy swings at the top of your season two. And that takes a lot of courage. And I, I like that the show has, has the conviction to do that. Um, <clears throat> I think that... Um, there's a guy on the train. So they get trapped on the train. There's a yeah. guy on the train that immediately says to them, like, shut the fuck up. You you have champagne problems. <laughs> yes. And then some woman's like, he's right. I've seen rent. Now, my feeling is that he had a point that she then undercuts yes. with a topical joke that is fine, I guess. But then, like, defeats the purpose of this guy who's got like real problems to deal with, right. and these two snobby girls are like bitching about a boy. Yes, yeah. I appreciate that someone at least calls them out on it. I agree. I appreciate that too. And and it's like you know down there, I think it's like an, also an interesting microcosm of New York City, and I think that that's it's a little bit one of the things that the show does um, is broaden the scope a little bit in that episode and say like, okay even though this is a, it's interesting. It's, it's sort of this interesting dichotomy because even though it's a bottle episode, it's actually like the broadest 
you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of the broadest scope that we've actually really seen in some ways Yep. because it shows us New York in a way it was in the late nineties, which is like a New York that is diverse, that is economically Mm -hmm. diverse. That is, you know, that's coming from all different areas and, you know, like social backgrounds. And I think that there's something really interesting about them being, you know, again, like easily and kindly because this is, this is the WB confronted (laughs) with that. Yes, I totally agree with you. I think it's, you know, <clears throat> I, I I like that that it's kind of dirty and grimy, that it feels like a New York City uh, pre-Giuliani. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I love the way they shoot the actual subway itself. Yeah. You know, a lot of shows wouldn't perhaps have the budget or the, or the wherewithal to have, you know, shots of the tunnel, shots of the of the train moving really feeling like some of the distance in the tunnels you would it would be shot in such a way that it was clearly a stationary one car on a soundstage and this feels like it has some breadth to it and it feels lived in and feels like a real subway um which is things that people don't necessarily notice but adds to authenticity and makes it feel real um I, i i think that uh a lawyer then asks Julie to perform the song so that they can all figure out who's in the right and who's in the wrong um, and I love that we don't hear the song. <clears throat> I think it's great that we don't hear the song. It is so much better to imagine the song and to have them picking apart pieces of it than and it is to have lingering in our heads. And yeah, it's yeah. so good. I, it's, it's such a so smart. Good. It's so smart to do that. Um, I, I and this is when Julie starts talking about having, having lots of male friends. But um, I, I like that Julie and Felicity are both going to the museum. Weirdly. Mm-hmm. Weirdly. And that woman feeling that their fate is what trapped them in this subway. I mean, I'm a huge like destiny fate person, so like okay. that really speaks to me. I love I love that about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always like I, you know the, the the end time travel notwithstanding, like there was something a little sometimes a tiny bit magical about Felicity. Like there was something that existed occasionally just on the yep. periphery of reality that they played with a little bit. Um, and I think that this is like one of our introductions to that. I, I completely agree with you. I think they do it a little bit at the end of season one with Megan, where she oh, puts yes. she does the spell. You're and right. It's like there's there's like a hint of the supernatural that to your point adds just a little bit of magic to the show that gives you that serendipity kind of like, is there something bringing these people together that's larger than them? Yeah. Which I really love. And and which is also so um, it's, it's so New York city too. Mm -hmm. Like I think it is, you know, it is a, it's a New York that, that I think, when we think about New York and the romanticism of New York, like we do think about it existing on a little bit of like the edge of reality. There is magic to it. There is like, it's a city of 9 million people. And yet it's a city like full of kismet and bumping into each other. And, um, and I, like, I love that about New York. I lived there for 12 years. I just moved to Los Angeles like six months ago. So, and I, and I thrilled. <laughs> yeah, well now I'm very glad. Um, but um I, yeah, the, the magic of it is really special. Yeah, and I always thought that that was, I, you know, I, and I, I actually, like, I keep referencing this interview, but, but the Carrie interview with Dax, where she talked about the fact that she then, I guess, after the show wrap, like, officially, officially moved to New York, and that they didn't actually do a lot of shooting there, that they were, like, they, they were just not there that often, and, um, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm getting that wrong, but... I think that they did such a good job also of capturing, I mean, a particular New York, but even the fact that they were left in the dorm so much of the time, like the, it's a very New York show. I mean, it's not friends. It's just not, it no. is still a New York show. Like when I watch it now, I feel nostalgia for the New York of my twenties. Well, it's, it's funny you bring that up. The, the, the friends illusion. Cause I think there's, there's something sort of, I mean, obviously friends is a sitcom. It's a heightened reality. Sure, you know, it's all sound stages and what have you, but um, it doesn't even for a set, like they never, and that show was colossally successful. They never went for one exterior to New York. They'd have those establishing shots. Yeah. You'd be like, I guess it's New York. Like it's so egregious. I mean, we shot shot famous in love uh, on the Warner brothers lot where like, you know, the the friends, like the New York street was where they shot all of friends. Mm -hmm. It's just like, 
when you see it in person and you're also like trying to shoot it yourself, you realize just like the absolute insanity Mm -hmm. of trying to make that be New York city for every single episode of the same show. It's wild. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, we shot station 19 uh, in Los Angeles. We had, you know, we went to Seattle once or twice, shot a couple, you know, exteriors and that was that, but it's, it's to your point, uh, it's not a priority anymore, it seems, in broadcast as much to convey believably <laughs> that it is the city that you're shooting in. It's yeah. an unfortunate reality, but that's just yeah. the way that it is. Yeah. Um, but this show, to its credit, embraces this sort of magical kind of pseudo New York place of their dreams <laughs> that also just feels just believable enough. And they, they went to New York for a handful of scenes. They, when they shot outside, I think they were out. They were there. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's interesting uh, to see that. I'm um, speaking of sort of the, the, the weirdness, I guess, of the show. We now have a moment that is never spoken of again, where we see all these weirdos in the subway tunnels and then Megan's hanging out with them. It's so great. It's so great. I love it, but I'm just like, what's happening? She's living with mole people for like, I don't know. It's so amazing. I mean, but I love, like, you know, to your point about the end of season one, like, I love when Megan, I think they're, they're like not, there are a few Megan threads that are never really like strong, that never really like finalized. It's just like, Mm -hmm. here's Megan, like living underground. And it's like, okay, I guess that's a thing that's happening. It just, it's, it's, to me, there's a part of me that feels like, and, and I've said this on many episodes before, but how much fun it must have been to write Megan, because as a writer, you're just like, oh yeah, they're in the subway. And then those crazy people that live in the subways and Megan's just hanging out with them. And then we never talk to them again. Yeah. yeah. Like, sure. I mean, I, mean, I, I think everyone would be like, definitely that makes sense. And he, I mean, to some extent, even, even Felicity is sort of like, that's crazy, but like, I guess kind of checks out. Like, I don't know. Maybe, you know yeah. There's yeah. no, there's no follow up from her her either she's not like hold on wait a second is that Megan like there's no it's just sort of like you okay (laughs) yeah it's great it's great I I adore it um I I think it's and it's it is so I'm gonna say one thing here this is my one big perhaps pet peeve about this episode Mm -hmm. I don't love that we have a quote-unquote magical older black man dispensing wisdom uh it's not a the best look in the world it's 1999 and i get it and it was a different time um but it's it is it's it's unfortunate um i you know i think i I understand wanting to have an older person dispensing wisdom and all of that but it's proven to be not great when it comes to the african-american depiction so it is what it is um but but what it actually does i don't have an issue with in fact i quite like the purpose that it serves for story um and and as we talked earlier about him sort of saying like you're not really friends you don't really know each other you know blah 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 i think all that stuff's great yeah but that was my only one big yeah and just having like a larger sort of like scope to you know like we're saying this episode does being like you're so in the idiocy of what it means to be 19 you have no idea like you're you're basically squabbling about a weekend Mm -hmm. and you don't know what friendship is in 60 years yeah. Can I can I express my two pet peeves of this episode? Please, that I've always, please. Always had? I want to hear. The yeah. first is that at no point, and then they're on that train for. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's close to six hours. Yes. Okay, so at no point does somebody say, "I need water," because I'll tell you right now, like I, I, it's 45 minutes, and I'm like, I'm like desperate for water. Do you want to get a glass of water? I mean, truly, no, I have it right here, but okay. thank you. But I'm like, I, I, oh, right now, no, 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 yeah. right now, okay, I'm just saying, in general, in my life, like, 45 minutes go by, and I'm desperate for water, so that's insane to me, and I don't understand it. The other <laughs> thing is the casualness with which everyone exits the train, and no one has to pee, so I can't believe it, but it's always really bothered me that nobody is, like, running to pee after that. She's like, do you want to go get a coffee, and I'm like, what, what's happening? You need a hydrate, and you need to pee. That's, I'm sorry, yeah. that's, that is math, yeah. science, and every time I watch the episode, I notice it. So that's all. Those are my I, here's what I appreciate, that both of your pet peeves are bladder-oriented. Yes, I they appreciate are. that. Totally. That's great. They're yeah. both, both hydration-oriented, which is yeah. completely fair. Um, I, I, I agree with you that it does feel like – I'm, I'm going to piggyback on what you just said and say that I take issue with the uh, – 
the way they leave that train, like they're all family now, right. is a little much to me. Yes, I know. They're like exchanging numbers and someone's giving someone else like legal counsel. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a lot. It's a, it's a little much. But, you know, listen, it's, right. it's, it's still broadcast television, but that that is a, it's a little much. Totally. Um, at the end of the episode, we we go to the museum. We see Felicity by herself. She's looking at a at a. It looks like a, a photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, and Felicity, uh, sorry, Julie comes up to her and says, admits that the song was mean and that she's not going to play it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love the final shot of the episode. Uh, it's a wide shot of them on either side of this photograph of a man holding his hand out, which almost looks like he's telling them to stay apart and not yeah. like. To still, you know, so there's, right. there's an argument in that. Um, and it's just a really, it's a very aesthetically pleasing shot, but also really sort of speaks volumes to the fact that these two still have a lot of growing to do before they can be friends or if they'll even be friends. Yes, it's very cinematic. And and you're right. I like that. I like that the episode doesn't try to make any quick mends or ties. It's, it's just sort of like, it's a little bit of time at a time. And it's also just like one really small step. And you know, and I appreciate that about the show as a whole. I think they were never rushing to, um, they were never rushing to draw conclusions about things. I think they I, were very comfortable letting situations, relationships breathe how they needed to. And I feel like this episode is a really great example of that. Yeah, it's, I, I fully agree with you. I think it's really interesting that the show, you know, obviously there's some pushback, there's some blowback from the choices that they made at the top of, of season two. And um, you see that by the end of the season, they bring Felicity and Ben back together again by the top of season three. Um, but, you know, Ben and Felicity moving in together in season three, for instance, is kind of insane. And and you see how it tears them apart in their own way. And, and the drama that comes from that, like they never really take the easy road on this show in a weird way. They always try to make it difficult for themselves, which, again, leads to great TV, but also makes it a little challenging to the viewers. Yes. Yes. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really, really interesting. Yeah. Do you, so, I mean, were there other shows in 99 that you were, so you said you were watching uh, Dawson's Creek, you were watching um, Buffy? Roswell. No. Roswell was like the be all and end all for me. It was all about Roswell. Like I lived Roswell in- was your joke. And died okay. as well. Yes, I loved it, loved it, loved it. It, it was the first show that I got massively in, in, into, and and then it was Dawson's Creek, and um, and then it was, and then it was honestly, it was mostly really Roswell and Dawson's Creek. Later, I came to Gilmore Girls. I'm for, I'm trying to remember. Gilmore Girls was a little bit late. It was later, but it was what yeah. like 2002, 2000. And- yeah. Something like Early that. 2000, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was very into Gilmore Girls. And it's interesting when, you know, when we look back at these, like, heroines of WBTV, they all they all have, like, a very similar sort of, like, innocence and blank canvas ness. Although, like, they all have, you know, very different personalities. But there was a sort of, like, openness, which is, which I think on the one hand, I related to. And on the mm-hmm. other hand, I understand now as a creator why that is troubling and kind of problematic to do and why like it's it's hard you know um even you know even even a few years later so we're talking 2008 with the i'm pretty sure with the release of the vampire diaries elena Mm -hmm. is like i mean still like you know sweet open-hearted but like has already had a boyfriend has already had sex has 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 lived this whole life before we meet her and she's only i think like a you know a sophomore junior in high school so even in those few like those seven years i think just culture and television change a lot. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because it, it makes me think about female protagonists on television in, in general. You know, I think the WB obviously was a network. They, they knew that their demos skewed relatively female. So they had a fair amount of female protagonists. But, you know, all of them were very drawn very differently. You know what I mean? Buffy is very different from from Joey Potter from. Oh, yeah. Buffy, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, it's all very interesting to see how drastically different a lot of these characters are. And then, you know, and then you have Gilmore girls. It's, it's just, it is interesting, the spectrum that they, that they exist on, um, and that they all seem very sort of independently minded, very sort of empowered. A lot of them were written, some were written by women. So you definitely had that sort of component to it as well. But, um, at the same time, it does feel, and I, I'm, I'm, I, I am leading to a question for you, um, is, the question of 
does a female protagonist have to choose a man at the end of whatever this thing is? If it's a book, if it's a TV show, if it's a movie, I do feel like we still kind of demand that of our female characters and we don't of our male characters. And I wonder what that says and how you feel about it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think for one, it's, it's a challenging like apples to apples argument because there were just so few shows of that ilk that were centered around male protagonists. I'm trying to think of, there was like Jack and Bobby for, there was what? Dawson. Yeah. Dawson. Dawson. Um, Yeah. Although, like, it was, I mean, like, it's so sad to talk about Dawson because you're like, it was his show and his creep, but, like, no one cared worst, about him. The worst like, character. He was the worst. Like, nobody cared. Um, yeah. Love James Vanderbeek. Think he's the best. But, like, he's lovely. Um, but, like, truly, just, like, just nobody cared about that. So that was a whole thing. But, um, but you're right. Like, it was meant to be his show, but it evolved to being it really did evolve to being Joey and Pacey's show. I think. I guess, I guess it's more about the fact that even if you step outside the WB and you just kind yeah. of look at a television in general, I just think that male characters don't have that hung around their neck. Whereas female characters do. Oh. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a bummer that like Felicity is a show about a woman, you know, probably from the age of, let's just say 18 to 22, probably something in that range. And she has to pick a soulmate by the end of the is is fucking crazy. Like she should be able to end the series being unsure. Like even if she chooses Ben, right? Mm-hmm. We we should get the sense that she's unsure if the, if this is a forever thing. And and I, I guess there's sort of a patness to the way that that is demanded upon female characters and isn't demanded on male characters. Yeah. Carrie Bradshaw has to has to end up with someone at the end of Sex and the City, even though if we're being honest probably she ends up alone. Oh. And I don't say that as a judgment on Carrie, no. but like, so do you see what I'm I always say that about Sex and City. Like it was the show about so many truths that ended with the biggest lie, <laughs> which is that, that, that was the show that was based on the truth of what it means to be a woman and what it means to be single and what it means to be in your thirties. And then it ended with the biggest lie, which is that that guy changes and he's the one you should be with. It was just like, it was crazy. But again, I think, I think to, to your point, I think it was audience demanded. I mean, I think we're still trying to reoriented women's stories to their, their own personal growth and development and, and not in terms of their love story. I mean, I think it's just, it's a question of the way that we have narrated, not just, not just in television and film and books, but the way we've narrated our own lives, like what we value from women, you know, the, it's the ways in which like a 40 year old dude who's crushing it at work is like a bachelor and he's awesome. But a four year old woman is like problematic if she's unmarried. These, these, like these social norms, even though we are doing active work to change them, they're still really pervasive throughout our culture. And I think they start really young. So it's not surprising to me that this exists. I mean, I think we do have examples now of television that is trying to move away from that. That's trying to like, you know, do the thing where it like permeates the narrative of, of culture. And those two can, two things can kind of like be in communication with each other. But I think of a lot of it has to do with just the value system we place on women from the age of like, I mean, even the, even princess books, like we talk about, you know, Disney, it's all, it all ends with a prince. Every single story ends with a man. Um, And that's it's working three-year-olds. It's not great. It's not great. Yeah, I. It's it's so funny you say that because, like, as you were talking, I was like, yeah, we just we have to earlier in in children's lives. They need to. We have to stop sort of putting these preconceived notions on what a life is supposed to look like. And and I say that just because. I mean, I feel it today. I still feel like there's things where society is demanding these things of me, um, which is unfair. Like you, life is the way your life plays out. And, and you know, whatever makes you happy and as long as it doesn't hurt other people should be paramount. Like everything else is just moot. Um, but to your point, you know, if you watch all these Disney movies, which and I will argue that it does feel a little bit like they're trying like Moana, for instance, you know, or Frozen, like these yeah. movies are trying to kind of shift away from these paradigms a little bit, which is helpful for sure. Um, but I think that we have to do better, you know, on these shows that are aimed at teens so that, yeah. you know, this idea that, that what, what sort of, you know, society deems right or wrong or what have you, I think. Yeah. Is silly. yeah. Anyway. And also I think it's like, how do you tell a love story that feels like it has massive stakes, but that the stakes don't have to be solved at a certain point. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it is that like when you set up a love story and it feels like, you know, in a lot of these shows, the love story is the main stake 
of the show. There is no supernatural element. I mean, even in the Vampire Diaries, that love story is so paramount to the supernatural element. So how do you how do you have a show that has stakes and doesn't feel like it needs to like solve for those stakes at the end? Those stakes being romantic. How can it make a different choice? I so, totally agree. We're working on it. I think we are. I mean, I, I, you know, I just pitched something yesterday uh, to someone and, and sort of was, was kind of expounding on this idea of, you know, romance stories, not feeling so pat, not feeling so binary, this idea of that, that a romance can be a feeling, you know, some of my favorite rom- movies that have romance in them or, or uh, romantic relationships are, you know, before sunrise or in the mood for love or these movies that have these sort of very kind of um, they're really more tone poems than they are anything else. It's just sort of like, living in moments between people because ultimately that's what this all comes down to. And yeah. I think that Felicity actually does a pretty good job of living in those moments, but I, I agree yeah. with you that, it, that we, we need to do better, but you know, we're trying. That's we're, trying. we're in process. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. This was, um, so, this was honestly just like the best hour of my week. I loved it. Like thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? Podcast like Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want the podcast like it? 1999. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.